0: Hey, I'm Latasha, and welcome to the Overcome to Become podcast. Join me each week for real talk, life-changing truths, actionable takeaways, and relatable overcoming stories from some of the bravest women I know. You will leave each episode with the tools to help you overcome what has been holding you back so you can become who you were always meant to be. Welcome, Helen, to the show. Thank you, Latasha. It is such a delight to be here with you today. So yeah, let's hop right in. Share a little bit, Helen, about yourself, a little bit about Mm -hmm. your story.
1: Yes, I'd be happy to. So I am a mom of three boys. They are all, I guess they're all teenagers, 19, 17, 14. I'm married to Brian, who is a teacher, a professor of music at Moody Bible Institute, and we live in Chicagoland. And I have been on a journey with writing and publishing for a number of decades now. It's a little crazy. I feel very, very old. <laughs> I don't know how that has happened, but I wrote a book called The Missional Mom back in 2011. Yes. And as part of that book, thinking about how to encourage Christian moms to live Counterculturally, One of the topics I addressed in that book was the topic of race. And even back then, I mean, this was more than 10 years ago, but I always felt like, man, I really wish I had more time to dive in and say more about this. So it's always kind of been in my heart and mind to think about, one day I'd love to do more on this. But life got busy. I work at uh, University Press full-time. I started working there full-time in 2014. And I have been spending so much time really helping other people with their own books. I started as an editor and did that for a number of years. I moved over to the marketing department and directed that department for a few years. And now I'm in kind of a special projects department, which is great fun. So that's what i do in my work life but this book idea kind of never really left me and we can maybe get into all the details about the book in a in a bit but it's been a, a really amazing journey to think more about how to help christian families with this particular issue which is it's just near and dear to my heart as someone who wants to see the church be a healing yes. agent yes we can be a healing agent we can be the the group of people that actually brings you know healing and hope mm-hmm. in the conversation. But I feel like we've fallen short, and we can talk more about that as well. So our book is just maybe one attempt to help the church to move in the right direction, if at all possible, with our understanding of racial issues, racial yeah. justice, and racial reconciliation.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is a wonderful attempt. Mm-hmm. And so I have read through the book and have been so informed. And I was saying that before we hopped on to the interview, have learned so much. And I am screaming from the mountaintop. Every parent needs to have this mm. uh, oh. you know, book in their hands, whether you are a parent, parent-to-be, an aunt, uh, a grandma, mm. you, know, you're imp- you know, have kids that you're a teacher, an educator, mm. and needs to read this book. And so you spoke a little bit about how you felt compelled So why, and I know with some time passing and things of that nature. Mm. So how did you and Michelle decide to write this together and then Mm. how did all of that come to right now?
1: Yeah, that's a a fun question to answer. So, you know, as the years went by and I kept feeling that burden inside that this book has to be written, I also felt a concurrent tension of, I, I really want to write this in community with someone. I mean, the issue of, race is such a challenging one. And I just knew that this is the kind of thing that you want to write with someone alongside you so you can support one another, bounce ideas off one another, test each other's ideas, make sure you're speaking truth. And I just felt like I don't want to do that alone. So I was in prayer, just God, you know, send the right person, send the right person. And it just never felt like I knew who that right person was. But then, in February of 2020, Michelle and I both were invited to speak at a conference that our mutual friend Vivian Mabuni had I love created. Love her, yes. Vivian is wonderful. So she had launched a ministry and an event called "Someday Is Here" to support mm-hmm. Asian, yeah, to support Asian American Christian women leaders. And Michelle and I had known each other on social, but had never met in person. And there's just something about meeting in person that just catalyzes relationships to another level. So we got a chance to meet there. And I didn't think about the book at that time. We just got a chance to meet. But then weeks later, after the event, as I was again, just, all right, Lord, I feel like there's so much that needs to be said. and I just need to know if there's someone out there you want me to write this with. I went to sleep. And I don't usually remember my dreams. I know we all dream, but I'm not someone who remembers my dreams. But that particular night, it was just crystal clear as I woke up that Michelle's name just kind of popped into my head. So I said, okay, all right, Laura, I I don't know if this is the answer to prayer, but let me reach out to her. And long story short, over time, as she began to go through her, her own discerning process of, is this something that the Lord is bringing to me to do? We came to that conclusion that the Lord was guiding us to write this book together. And it was so smooth. I mean, I don't, I don't know how other people's processes of writing books together is, but for us, it just was so easy. Mm -hmm. It was so clear. Okay, Helen, you take these topics uh, and chapters and take the lead, and Michelle, you take the lead on these chapters. And then, of course, we read each other's chapters and interject and add and all those good things as co-writers. But it was such a smooth process, and I feel very, very blessed that she said yes to that. This is very much a fully joint project between us both, and for both of us, just such a a heart longing to see growth and healing and hope in the church on this topic. So that's kind of the backstory of how it came
0: to be. And you can tell because it is seamless. Mm. Uh, It it is very seamless from posture to posture, which I'm going to talk Mm. about now. And I was so taken Mm -hmm. with the names that you've named each chapter, a posture. Mm -hmm. And so share with us the thought process behind uh, why postures.
1: Mm. Well, we owe a, a couple of nods to Andy Crouch. So, Andy Crouch is the author of the book Culture Making, as well as the author of the book The Techwise Family. And so, that phrase, The Techwise Family, was something that stuck in my head as being, oh, it's a really neat title. We need a book like this on race. Yeah. And that's kind of how the title of our book came to be the race-wise family. But one of the things that Andy talks about in culture-making is this idea of the difference between gestures and postures. And if you want a full articulation of his thoughts on that, that his book, Culture-Making, talks about the difference. But essentially, gesture is more like, you do this and you do that kind of thing, whereas a posture is a little more of an open, receptive kind of a way of being. Not like trying to impose impose on other people, but just kind of an openness to trying to have a, the right mindset. So that's kind of where the idea of of postures comes in. It's not you should do this, you should do this, you should do this uh, kind of a thing, but more yeah. of a gracious learning kind of a stance where we're trying to say we are sojourners along with all of you reading in this journey of trying to understand race and we're offering these postures as a way to be with the recognition that postures are meant to be fluid and sometimes you have to adjust and and sometimes you have to change and sometimes you have to be willing to even in your own learning grow and move and that's just part of the process of learning. So anyway, the, I, the word posture is meant to communicate all all of that—a learning kind of a stance versus a like a a very kind of di- just diff- a hard, difficult kind of frozen mentality. I don't know if that helps to explain. Yes, it does, and
0: it's needed. As you were talking, I thought you know, there's been especially uh, over these last couple of years, there's been a lot of talk and you know uh, opinions and other things out there, direction, mm-hmm. guidance, etc. And some of it does sound and come from that you should mm. hard, like you said, type of, and, and we all know that, you know, when you're talking, you know, especially about a topic like this, where you're really trying to encourage someone to change their heart, right? Yes. Yes. Change at the root, do a paradigm shift, not mm-hmm. just take on, uh, you know, a trendy topic or just mm-hmm. say you like it, but really digging in deep into the way that they were raised yeah. The way that they were taught, the things that they were told were correct right. for a long time. And then now you're saying, well, can you be open instead mm-hmm. of saying you were raised incorrectly? Right. And your parents didn't know what they were talking about. It's more of what I was reading. It was more of like open your, your hands, mm-hmm. open your heart and take an introspection. Right. Mm-hmm. Take some time mm-hmm. to look to, to look inward first and and question. Yeah. A lot of questioning of where did that come from? Mm-hmm. How did you come to that conclusion? What are your fears, et cetera? Yeah. Is, is that yeah. what you all were kind of hoping that people would come into and then into that heart change absolutely
1: I mean I feel like you understand it better than even I've explained it so yeah. uh, but yes I mean I think when it in a topic like this it can be so daunting and yeah. scary and yeah. uh, and it is it's a tough it's a tough topic and that's why so many Christian families and parents avoid it, which I understand yes. it just feels too scary to tackle. so yeah, we definitely wanted to have that kind of mindset going in. We wanted to create a hospitality to entering into this conversation where you felt safe and you felt welcome. You felt allowed to make mistakes and allowed to ask questions and allowed to admit you don't know everything. We don't know everything. I don't know everything, certainly. And I'm still growing Absolutely. and learning and changing, too. So we wanted to try to kind of establish that type of uh, mindset and that type of context for people as they were reading the book. And so hopefully that language of postures and just the language throughout helped to do that.
0: Absolutely. And so then in in thinking about us as Christians and our walk with God, I love how, and it really is, you know, uh, my heart is happy on one end and kind of Hmm. sad on the other. I grew up in the church, but never really was race and God combined together and spoke about, you know, in one setting together, right? And shown how the two are connected. Not only that, but that how God is intentional about it, right? It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't like he was like, oh, you're going to be of this you or this Mm -hmm. background, etc. It was intentional. And so I love how you all reference scriptures and revelation and all throughout the Bible where God Mm -hmm. was very intentional. And one particular quote, You said pursuing multi-ethnicity is an extension of our worship Mm. of God. Mm. Can you unpack that statement for us? Oh,
1: I'll try to. I'll try to do my best. I mean, I think that so much these days, especially around words like race and diversity and such, Mm -hmm. there's so much in the church. There's so much kind of reaction in it the opposite direction where it feels like, no, we can't talk about these things. It's causing division. It's it's making us focus on the wrong things. And I think what we're trying to articulate is that actually, as we lean into understanding the gift of ethnicity uh, yeah. that God has given each one of us, that in turn helps us to appreciate who God is, who appreciate who God has meant for us to be, and as a result, when that happens, we can't help but worship. So yes. it's it's almost the opposite of what I keep hearing out there in the church, this kind of reaction to anything that touches the issue of race and ethnic identity. And so we're trying to challenge that as much as we can in as humble a way as we can to say, actually, that's not what we are seeing yes. in Scripture. And in fact... It's just so interesting if you're if you're looking to see how God utilizes the gift of identity, ethnic identity. Mm-hmm. I mean, He uses that to push the mission, His mission, throughout the Bible. It's incredible. I mean, I think even of th- 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 what happened at Pentecost, right? Yes. So in in Acts, you see how all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came upon the church, mm-hmm. and everyone started speaking in. A multitude of languages. And yes. what happened as a result of that kind of cultural and ethnic specificity, that in turn was what drove the witness of the, of the gospel beyond what anyone could imagine. Mm-hmm. And thousands came to a knowledge of Jesus as a result. God uses ethnicity, culture, like to draw people to himself. And I experienced yes. this when I first started learning and understanding what you just said, that it wasn't a mistake that God made me who I am as a person of Korean descent, like all my yes. life prior to my, you know, my college years, I'd always felt like, oh, what a mistake. I just felt like, a, I felt like a mistake. I felt like, what a bummer. What a yeah. burden. Mm-hmm. What a curse. And I had kind of gotten messages about that, about myself that way through the years, through my childhood and my adolescent years. So when I finally understood that truth, that no, 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 the way God made me is not a mm. mistake. Again, that just opened myself up to such a posture of worship and praise. Like, oh, thank mm. you, God. I understand now that I'm not a mistake. The, my cultural background is not a mistake. It's a blessing yes. and a blessing so that I will bless others. Like there's an intentionality behind that. And that's partly what we're trying to communicate in this book, that No matter how God has made you, whether you are, and we all have uh, particular cultural elements to our background. Each one of us, you know, all of us have Mm -hmm. ethnic and cultural uniqueness. We want for people to understand we don't want to shy away from that. We don't want to gloss over. We don't want to ignore it because then we're missing the opportunity for worship and witness. And those two things are why God has given us these gifts to begin with.
0: Yes, yes. Oh, I love that because as you were talking, I thought I've heard so many different times where it's like, okay, we're not going to get into that. We're just Mm -hmm. all God's children, right? Mm -hmm. We're, we're just all, we're, we're, we're the, you know, just God's children, the body of Christ. But even as I, you know, if you think about the body and we know the scriptures that talk about the body of Christ and how Mm -hmm. there's different parts and unique giftings and all of that. I mean, just over and over and over diversity and Mm -hmm. how God on purpose gave different gifts, different mm-hmm. parts of the body. It wasn't, we're not all toes. We're not all fingers. Yeah. We're not, etc. Yeah. Right. And so I think we've, you know, just like you said about the book of Acts, I remember and and you know, Pentecost, I remember being taught that but not in that way mm-hmm. where it was, you know, just people from different nations and tongues, you know, and the, what I was taught was it was just the, the tongue of the Holy Spirit. It mm-hmm. wasn't literally a different. And so when you said that and even reading in the book and and mm-hmm. looking at the scriptures a totally different way from a totally mm-hmm. different lens, it just deepened how mm-hmm. awesome God is. Yeah. It's like, wow, it's, he is not just the creator, but he is creative, if that makes yes. sense. Oh, right? absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I think
1: maybe where some of the conversation, certainly in the secular world, yeah. stops is it's it's in the secular world and sometimes even in the church, it's almost like there's an overemphasis on elevating diversity for diversity's sake. Like, that's mm. it. Like, that's the ultimate goal. Diversity yes. is the goal. And so in that statement, the idea that pursuing multi-ethnicity is, is a, it's essentially a channel for worship is is what I feel like is that nuance that's really important. Because it's true if we're just pursuing diversity for diversity's sake, we've missed the point. Yeah, The point of God's diversity, the point of God's creative spirit, the point of God giving and creating all these cultures, these beautiful cultures, is so that we will ultimately seek Him, know Him, and worship Him. So... That is the message that the church, I hope, will start to come, you know, embrace so that they won't be so scared and so frightened and so reactionary to these conversations. Yes. I hope they'll yes. start to understand that it's actually in these conversations that we can become a greater witness and worship God. And that's the whole point to begin with Absolutely. <laughs> of the yeah.
0: Absolutely. And then going beyond checking the box, right, mm-hmm. of... You know, we have some that are kind of going in that direction of, okay, well, now we have a person of color on our leadership Mm. team, right? We have representation. We have someone (laughs) on our worship team that is of color We have someone, I mean, literally you can count the people, right? So it's, it's, we check that we are. And then you all talk about that there's a difference between Mm -hmm. just representation and creating a multi-ethnic community and culture. Can you explain Mm -hmm. a little bit more the difference for the person who's like, hey, Helen, hey, Michelle, I mean, we've we've got it. We've checked that box. Look Mm -hmm. at our leadership. We've got at least a couple people of color on there represented. (laughs) And we've tried to, you know, incorporate a couple of songs, yeah. from different backgrounds. Yeah. Can you explain a little more deeply into why there there uh, the difference between that?
1: Yeah, I I like to say that I like to say that representation is not the same as reconciliation. Mm. I mean, re-
0: representation
1: is A helpful step in the overall process of being a reconciled people of God. But it is just a step. I mean, you can't have reconciliation unless you have relationships with people who are different. And that's all kinds of differences, whether we're talking about ethnicity, race, gender, generational, what have you. Representation does not solve everything. Uh, by any means. And there's another story in accent. We write about it. Yeah, we write Mm -hmm. about it in the book when you had that conflict between the Hellenistic widows and the Hebraic widows. And there's representation. You've got different Jews of different cultural backgrounds represented, but Mm -hmm. there's still a conflict. There's still a problem because there is inequity and there is a conflict brewing that has to be dealt with. So, just having representation doesn't mean we're all going to be happy and everything's going to be fine and there's Absolutely. going to be no issues and all all things will be equitable, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. And and so we have to acknowledge that representation is one part of this larger picture of what it means to be communities of hope and healing. But if you don't start getting into those deeper layers and levels of both relationship as well as addressing different systemic issues that might exist or different ways that voices are still not potentially being heard or -hmm. different ways that communities might have experienced hurt and that has never been resolved. I mean, representation is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more to ultimately becoming communities of healing. And I I think this is a work that we should not be daunted and say, oh my goodness, you know, it's it's too hard. It is hard. It is hard. hard. And it is hard. And it's going to be... I think one of those things that we don't solve this side of heaven but we have to mm-hmm. at least continue to move in the direction of of greater and greater reconciliation because again it leads to witness and it leads to an understanding of who God is but there's I don't know if I wrote about this in the book but I love at the very end of the bible like in revelation 22 right we talk yeah. we see the beautiful picture of the river of life, um, and the tree, the tree of life, and the trees actually, the different trees. It's not just one tree, but there's all these trees that are along the banks of the river of life, and the. It says in Revelation twenty-two that the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations, yes. and I just, I find that amazing. It tells me that even in the eschaton, we'll, we'll still be healing. We need, right? We yes. need the purity of God's love and the eradication of sin. <laughs> and we mm-hmm. need that kind of safety to finally fully heal. So we shouldn't be surprised that it's hard in this life and that we struggle and that we're not going to get it right and there's going to be challenges. But you have to start. You have to start with representation. At least that starts the ball rolling. And we have to acknowledge that that's not, the end of the work we have to do on this absolutely. side. Absolutely.
0: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And it, it made me, as you were talking, I it made me visualize this wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard and it's a wrestling And, you know, and we'll talk about that in a minute when, you know, in part of the book, you talked about confronting biases that we have within Mm. our own self, right? And that wrestling of, again, opening up and looking, and it's already hard to look inward about anything, right? Because our flesh and our self wants to just say we are right.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) All day
0: long. I don't want anybody telling Mm -hmm. me it's uncomfortable. I don't want to confront Mm -hmm. myself. We can confront others no problem. <laughs> but confronting ourselves is a whole nother thing. And so it's this wrestling back and forth, but mm-hmm. we need to be willing to be in, in that wrestle, right? Mm-hmm. In that wrestle, mm-hmm. kind of almost remind me as, as Jacob wrestled with God and, and wrestling and saying, oh, yeah. this is a good fight to fight. And sometimes that fight is with ourselves first, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a mm-hmm. good, worthy and holy fight. Would you say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. There's that phrase, holy discontent. And I think yes. that there is a sense that as we see the world is not the way that we know God has intended it to be. And yes. you know, we know it's not the way God wants it to be, whether we're talking about injustice or pain or brokenness or mm-hmm. racism or all those things. That has to stir us internally to want and desire yeah. something different, You know, something more beautiful, something more whole, something where... All of God's people can flourish and then become a witness to the rest of the world. And I think that if we, the church, could just start entering into these conversations and these discussions and the work of trying to engage issues of race. Yes, we're going to struggle. We're not going to get it right. But as we do that and demonstrate that we can kind of be in these uncomfortable spaces and places, but be bonded by the love of Christ to have these hard conversations, that will be a witness to the world. And that's another thing that that I think the church has when it comes to the issue of race that no one else else who's talking about race. Can, they don't have that. They don't have the love of Jesus. We have the answer. We, we do. have Christ. Absolutely. We have Jesus. And I, I, yeah. that, I don't mean to sound, I mean that in truth. I mean, there's no. Other way when you're having some of these really, really hard conversations where you feel really frustrated at the other person who doesn't yes. understand, but you're both bonded by the blood of Jesus, then you're you know you have that as a foundation to build on. And as you lean into that connection, that's what allows you to have that way forward, the hope and healing. But absolutely the, the church has the answer. We just have to yes, be willing to enter they card conversations.
0: Yes, yes, we do. And and you know, I I was in a conversation with someone. I said, you know, The world and those who don't know Christ are no longer Mm -hmm. impressed with how often we go to church. Mm -hmm. They're not impressed with how we dress when we go to church. All the things, you know, all all those different things, they're not impressed with that, right? But the Mm -hmm. word tells us that they will know that we Mm -hmm. are his disciples, not by what we drive, not by what we wear, not by how many times we go to church or say how many times we pray or read the word or all these other things like that, which are good things to do, Yeah they will know because of the love that we have for each other, right? Mm-hmm. That makes the difference. So can you explain Helen to us, what, what is the solution to racism? Yes. Yeah, so if we see
1: sin, which I think in its most literal definition is really just missing the mark, right? Missing exactly. the target, right? That's yeah. what it means. Essentially missing the target of where God wants us to be. Mm-hmm. And as human beings, treat one another with bias, with hatred, with discrimination, that's not how God intends for us to treat one another, to be in relationship with one another. We are missing the mark. And what does the Bible say we need to do when we miss the mark? When we sin, repentance is the key. We have to repent. We have Mm -hmm. to recognize that we have missed the mark. We have to acknowledge that and take responsibility that we have missed that mark. And then we have to ask God. Uh, to forgive us because we acknowledge that we have erred and we have the need to repent. I mean, it's, it's very basic, very Mm -hmm. simple. And yet it feels like for some reason, the church as a whole still resists still doesn't want to acknowledge. So we have to first repent. I mean, there's just no way around that. We individually, we corporately, those things have to happen, and it may not happen as a whole. Maybe that some of us are there further on than others. So those of us who have learned that have to be bear witness to why that process, and it's a continual process, right? It's like a daily process. It's not yes, a one and done absolutely. thing. Yes, mm-hmm. not a one and done thing. So we are constantly confronting areas of our own, missing the mark that we have in the way that we. Think about other people, the way we treat other people, like all of that is a daily discipline. But repentance is really the key. We have to own our areas where we've missed the mark and we have to ask the Lord um, for his forgiveness. And then we have to turn away. That's the other part of what it means to repent is turning away, metanoia, turning away from that those behaviors, those thoughts, or those emissions of behaviors and thoughts that we do as human beings. So sanctification is not an overnight success no. story. It's a minute
0: <laughs> awesome. by minute, yes.
1: Yes. day by day. yeah.
0: There yeah. might be even a parent listening saying, well, Helen, now that I'm getting this revelation mm. and my eyes are open, it might mean that I may have to change our friend group. Oh. I might have to change where we worship. I might have to make decisions. It's going to be super uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and it's overwhelming. Mm. If I'm in a place where now my eyes are open, but everybody else around me, they're not willing for their eyes to be open. Speak for a moment to that person, to that parent who's listening. And they're in this place where they're like, I know what to do, mm. but I'm afraid.
1: mm, mm wow, that is so real. And I think that's probably a journey that more and more Mm -hmm. Christian families and Christian parents are on. So I empathize with that. And no one wants to live in fear, for sure. At the same time, we're called to count the cost and we're called to carry our cross. Mm -hmm. And no one was promised, as a follower of Jesus, an easy journey. There are times I've had to make choices that haven't made my parents for example happy for one reason or another or other friends happy yeah. for one reason or another but i know in truth that i have to make those choices hard as they are yeah because that is what god's calling me to do and it's it's not easy it's not easy to face rejection from different people who are important in your life it's super hard so i i can i can totally totally empathize with how hard it can be, and yet at the same time, there is something about the refining power of Christ and what He can do even as you're going through those kinds of hard choices that you mm-hmm. make, where when you make them, He honors that yeah. risk, You know, He honors that choice, He'll bring other people into your circle, into your life where there can be more solidarity that'll help equip you with encouragement and the support you need to withstand some of the areas of relationship that might be in deterioration because of following after God's truth. So yeah. I, I wish I could tell you that it's going to be easy to make those hard calls. Yeah, I, I, I can't lie. I mean, it, it's not. And, and sometimes it's a lifelong battle of misunderstandings or people don't understand where you're coming from your, where your heart is but if you are right with the Lord and you can say to Him I I know you called me to this direction I know you're revealing this truth mm-hmm. to me I, I can't stay where I was before yeah. if you are being obedient to that journey even if others misunderstand you as long as you are secure in the knowledge of what God yes. has opened up to you and the path He's giving you it's okay if you're misunderstood. We are told that we're going to become persecuted. We're going to experience all that kind of pushback. So you should expect it, you know, if you're following after God's truth in this area.
0: Mm -hmm. My daughter, when she was, I think, five years old, she was in kindergarten, that her skin looked like poop. Oh, my God. And I remember her coming home and telling me that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, first I was enraged. I was, I remember just tearing up and just thinking, Oh my gosh. And, but then there was a part of me, Helen, that, you know, I thought, you know, the mom, of course, bear came out and I was like, what did he say? Mm -hmm. You know? And then the other part of me thought this child does not know at five years old, he doesn't know what he's saying. Right. And I'm pretty sure those conversations are not going on in the home like they should. And there's several times in the book where you talk about, you know, situations and stories where the parents are like, well, we don't tolerate that in the Mm -hmm. house. We don't tolerate, but you're also not talking about it. Correct. Right. You don't tolerate it, but you're also not talking about it. I know you agree. I'm preaching to the choir as parents (laughs) to wrestle with that because we're raising children that will follow our behaviors.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And what you just said earlier about if we're, as parents, if we're not talking about it, if we're not addressing it, they're going to learn from somewhere. They're going to learn from their friends. They're going to learn on the playground. They're going to learn in their schools. They're going to learn from the culture. Yes. And if the culture is not actively teaching our children to be aware of difference, but not to be scared of those differences. Yes. If the culture around them is not teaching them to stand for unity and healing and hope, and, and to pursue relationships with those who might look different, mm-hmm. to be able to find the shared humanity that we have with one another. If, if they're not being actively taught that, yeah, our this is where I think our sin nature comes in. Um, studies show that human beings just prefer to be with those who are similar to them That's in all true. kinds of ways, but particularly in terms of our ethnic background and our racial categories, it's just birds of a feather flock together. There are so many studies that share this. In fact, even in schools that are considered diverse, like the more diverse a school is, sometimes the more those commonalities are reinforced, you'll start to see like clusters of kids just like bond yes. together with who they are alike with, because that's the comfortable place. Mm -hmm. So that's what our nature uh, draws us to. And then our culture often reinforces that. So we as parents have to do the work Mm -hmm. of actively countering those messages. We can't trust that our kids are just going to learn because we don't hate people who are different from us. We don't actively have any prejudice. So our kids are going to be fine. That's actually not necessarily true. You don't know what kinds of messages they might be absorbing all around them. That's true.
0: Absolutely true. And so there was a story in there about a posture in there where you all discussed about bias mm. and you know confronting your own personal biases. And you shared a story of a time mm. when you were a cashier. Can you share that with yeah. us and, and what occurred during that?
1: Yeah, it's a painful story, but I will share it because, again, that's that's just part of our own mm-hmm. learning process—is being willing to own when these kinds of moments happen. So, yeah, I was working as a cashier in my mom's my mom's store. She had like a sandwich store, and uh, there was a particular woman, black woman, middle aged black woman, who would come, and she would buy her her sandwich or her sandwich in a candy bar, and she always had this very sour dour expression on her face and she it, my mom was very typically very very frugal about how she would give out supplies for better or for worse so she wouldn't mm-hmm. want me to like nap, just give out bags and napkins and things she would want me to wait <laughs> until people asked for them so she would save some money so this particular woman would ask for a bag but do it with such a, like a angry kind of voice mm-hmm. and, you know we never had a conversation we didn't know each other so my my bias and my assumption was that well she must not like me because of the fact that i'm asian like my mind just kind of went there Mm -hmm. for no reason I, i couldn't think of any other reason why would she be so just so dour and so negative you know when we don't even know each other so i i just made that jump in my own conclusion i i felt I write about this in the book. I, I felt one day, you know, because I was seeing her like every day, every day, every day. I couldn't. I'd see her, and I'd have. I'd see her just sour expression whenever she came to that cashier. So, I felt the Holy Spirit just prick me one morning and say, "Talk to her. Talk to her. Don't assume you know what her story is." Mm. So, so I tried to do that. The next time she came, I just said. I, I'm sorry I'm always asking you if you want a bag. It's just the way my mom is. She wants me to, to ask. Um, and, and that's kind of opened up a little door. And her, her face just changed. She didn't have the automatic reaction. And she said, the reason I ask you for a bag is because if I don't, people will assume that I have stolen this mm. from you. That's what I was taught. And boy... Oh, my wow. gosh! That mm-hmm. was just eye opening. I felt ashamed for having jumped to a completely wrong assumption mm-hmm. and conclusion. And from that point on, of course, I just I just always bagged her food for her, yes, <laughs> whenever she came and And she didn't give me that sour expression when she came to the cashier. So there was a moment of understanding that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't taken the time. just it was a brief conversation. But it just helped me understand her and have so much more compassion for her as a result. So we sometimes jump to these yes. assumptions and we make these oh these conclusions that are so far from the truth sometimes yeah. because we don't take the time to connect. So that was the thing that I feel like I have gained from that story. And it's it's still one of those things where it's much harder. It's much easier to lean into and live into the assumptions to where our minds just naturally go. It's so much harder to do just a little bit of work. It's not even a lot of work. No. One question, just one or two questions, but it can open up so much more understanding, right? If we're just willing.
0: No, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And I love what you said. You felt prompted by the Holy Spirit and you asked the question and you started the conversation, right? And I think sometimes we get in our head, like you said, with the assumptions, and then we overthink that it has to be some... Deep thing that we have to do as parents Hmm. to try to make a difference and really, and really, it's starting the conversation, right? And it really is. And I've had lots of these conversations, thankfully, where God has placed people, uh, whether it's just random or at work Mm -hmm. or in church, where they've just said, Can I just ask you a question? And I've always said, I'd rather you just come. Mm -hmm. And ask me instead of assume, right? Right. And ask me why it is that we do Mm -hmm. that or Mm -hmm. why like I got in a conversation with a colleague about the differences in how we take care of our hair. You know, Mm -hmm. she's Caucasian, but you know, I come from a mixed background, Korean, African American. And Mm -hmm. so you know, I talk to her about my journey of how I've learned how to take care of my hair and the difficulties my mother had when I was Mm -hmm. little of how to do my hair. And then she talked about hers and, you know, the assumptions of how many times we wash our hair. You don't wash Mm -hmm. your hair. Little things when you're Mm -hmm. younger. And I've even talked to my daughters about, hey, when a young, you know, a classmate comes and she touches your hair, start a conversation with her. Mm. And say, you know, why are you curious about me? What do you want to know, et cetera? You know, it's and have that conversation. But that's how you start, and that's how you make a difference. I think sometimes we feel so we want to change, we want to do so many things. How can I just change the world? It starts with that conversation. Don't you agree? Mm -hmm. It's that Mm -hmm. one little conversation. She had clarification from you that day, you had clarification from her. That's how Mm -hmm. it starts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there is that step of our just recognizing and owning that we all, have assumptions yeah. and biases, we just yeah, do. And we do. And no, sh- no shame in that. I mean, it's just part <laughs> of us being fallen teachers. Yes. We are not perfect. So, of course, we're going to have some of those uh, assumptions that we make that are not truthful. And just own that because it's true for all of us. And <laughs> recognize that, okay, we are all in that same place of having different biases, different different assumptions that we make be open the posture of openness we've talked about that a lot just openness to recognizing and asking the spirit to just prompt us when we maybe on that pathway of leaning into an assumption versus Mm -hmm. just being open to connection conversation clarification and deeper knowledge so that we can appreciate one another absolutely
0: absolutely so Helen tell us what is your hope you and Michelle's hope for every parent that reads The Race Wise Family I hope that
1: it will be, it certainly is not the end-all be-all. It certainly mm-hmm. is not the only thing that they should they should read on this topic. But I do hope it will give some clarifications and, and greater safety to know how to even engage with these issues, both personally and with their children. Mm-hmm. I hope it will, I guess, lower the barriers that I think exist for parents and families right now to engage on this topic. Mm-hmm. I hope it will... Reduce the fear and anxiety. We talked about fear earlier. And I hope it will give every person and every family who encounters the book more confidence to know that actually as we engage with this topic versus avoiding it, that will allow us to be used by God to be vessels for that hope and healing that we keep saying, hope and healing, hope and healing. Like, that's what I want Christian families to be. Families that I think have an opportunity to do this in a way that's different because children are open like children yeah. oh yes i think are just so much in some ways they're less mm-hmm. rigid than we adults can be so it's sometimes as we watch our children learning we can learn yeah. alongside and come to an easier pathway of transformation because we're seeing them embrace some of these truths quicker than sometimes we can oh yeah adults. So I think that Christian families can really, truly be the vanguards here in this whole area of what does it mean to tackle and battle racism in all its forms. Christian families could be the ones to really help guide us and lead us, and kids in particular, as we are talking about these issues. So I hope that happens. I hope that we can see on this side of heaven more Christian families— Not being scared by Mm -hmm. the topic, not being defensive, but just Mm -hmm. being open. Postures of openness that will help take us forward as the church and be a greater witness to what Mm -hmm. God has in store for the church in this this particular conversation in the world.
0: I want to transition to a few rapid fire questions for the listener. So tell us, Helen, what song has been on repeat lately for
1: you? I watched this uh, musical recently. I watched The Greatest Showman, which I'd never watched.
0: I love Oh yeah, just seen it for the first time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh I don't the soundtrack I, I love.
1: I'm usually like ten years behind everyone else yeah. when it comes, <laughs> you know, to movies and <laughs> things like that. So I can, I don't even I, I can't even tell you the names of all the different songs on them, but there's one that I think it's Zendaya and Zac Efron sing together that is. Oh
0: so yes. So- I don't know the name of it either, but yeah, I, I was just, my seven-year-old and I were just listening to it in the car. I just love, it's a good, even when I am in the house, I turn it yeah. on, it's encouraging, it's uplifting, we can dance all around. And so, yeah, I love that soundtrack, the whole thing. And so what's one food you could not live without?
1: Oh boy. So there's junk food and there's healthy food. Which one do yeah. you want?
0: <laughs> you give us one of each if you'd like. Okay. <laughs>
1: my my achilles heel junk food wise jelly bellies and particularly really? cotton cotton candy oh my gosh it's like my it's my it's it's so bad for you it's like so bad for <laughs> your teeth it's so bad for everything i cannot live without um, food wise i just it's hard for me to pick one i mm-hmm. just love i just love asian food all kinds yes, all different same. kinds of asian food i cannot live without some sort of proximity to Asian food, it can be any kind, Korean, Japanese, Chinese, Thai, Vietnamese, I mean, on and on. I just love it all.
0: So I know early I said I would ask you, uh, kimchi-wise, do you make your own kimchi? Do you love kimchi? I'm not going to assume. Yeah. Do you love kimchi? And then what's your favorite? I
1: do make my own. I only learned... Recently, pandemic life, right? We are all learning new skills. So, I was like on a fermentation journey. So, I did sourdough, (laughs) sourdough, and kimchi. So, I learned from my mom initially gave me, I mean, it was hard because she doesn't write anything down. Same with my mom. Yeah. Doesn't write anything Mm -hmm. down. So, she tried to communicate, and she's not local to me. So, she was trying to communicate just by by phone calls and FaceTime. Yeah. <laughs> and I was trying to write down what she was thinking would be kind of proportioned, but over time I've tried to experiment and learn. So I do love to make it because it tastes so much better. It's a pain. Oh, it it does. takes time. Oh, it it's a so long
0: process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it a long, time. yeah.
1: But yeah. it's worth it. So I, I just, just, you know, basic cabbage kimchi and I love cucumber kimchi too. Those are the two yes. kinds that I like.
0: Yes. Make. Yes. And cucumber is not as arduous no yeah Mm -mm. you can it's a quick little my husband loves it Mm -hmm. quick Mm -hmm. little I just made some a couple weeks ago quick little kimchi and I keep a bowl and just eat off of that last one what makes you smile
1: oh gosh there's I I don't know if I can I can I don't know if I can say this quickly I think whenever I see my kids flourishing in who God has made them to be I Mm. can't help but smile Yeah, yeah I'll end it there
0: That is a blessing, a true blessing. So Helen, the book is out today. When this airs, it it will be May 17th. And so book launch day. So tell the listeners, please, how can they access a copy of the book? (laughs) And then how can they connect with you? All of those things.
1: Well, hopefully the book is available everywhere books are sold. So Amazon, local retailers, independent bookstores, anywhere. So if you want to support independent bookstores, you can go to IndieBound.com to find your local stores that might have it. But of course, the big retailers will hopefully have it as well on Amazon, certainly as well. So it should be easy to find if you want it. Hopefully you can find it without any problem. And then I am at Helen Lee Books is my handle on all the major um, social media platforms. And okay. my website is also HelenLeeBooks.com. So hopefully okay. you can find me there.
0: Thank you, Helen, so much. It's been a pleasure and praying as this book is released. It's such a timely conversation, a timely book. And so thank you for the work. Mm. Thank you for all that you're doing. I appreciate you. And most of all, thank you for your time.
1: It was my pleasure. Thank you so much, Latasha.